0: Welcome to the Old Dog New Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff West, and I'm going to spend some time talking about tech and looking at how the old dog weighs really on all that old. I'm going to look at some integration ideas, discuss some successes and failures, and show you that it's really not about being perfect but it's about being patient when it comes to integrating technology. I'm a high school educator, been teaching music band for most of my career, but I am a a big tech enthusiast, and I really enjoy uh, researching and finding answers and ways to integrate tech that don't take up so much time. Let's get going. Well, welcome to the new episode, the next episode of Old Dog New Tech. This is Jeff West. Hope you're doing well. It's the holiday season as I record this. Kind of the crazy time for me is over. I got my holiday concert all done, went well. Kids did great. And now, in this episode, I'm going to take a look at some articles. I was doing some research because I, uh, throughout the last trimester, because I was uh, piloting. Uh, An online hybrid blended course. The course was all online, but um, uh, I was struggling a bit with communicating, connecting with kids and getting things happening, trying to bridge that gap between being a facilitator and a teacher or a dictator or controller. So I came across a couple of articles and I thought I'd read some of the articles and pose a couple of questions and share some thoughts. So I'm looking at some learning theories. And then one of the articles um, which talked about some online learning methods, how to um, uh, format, how to develop it, uh, had some interesting observations and um, some other interesting ideas that came out of it for me. So I thought maybe it might be uh, something something that might be useful to you. So here we go. Among the many uh, overwhelming things in education, I think, are uh, learning styles and learning theories. I was checking into and reviewing some resources that I collected and uh, searching for updated research. I was trying to determine if I was doing the right thing in an online course that I was facilitating. Uh, It was more of a hybrid blended format, but the coursework was all already online. My district was working on uh, collaborating with some online courses uh, already prepared using um, using their uh, content. So while I was reviewing and researching, I found uh, a chart of all uh, or most of the learning theories. And I thought a quick overview and uh, a post in the show notes of the... Um, a post of the sh- in the show notes of of the chart could be something everybody could use. Sorry, I lost my place <laughs> for a minute here. Trying to manage the sound at the same time. Multitasking doesn't really work, does it? After, uh, after I looked at the chart, though, um, I found that I used several of the theories. Um, and really, it's the way that I believe is the right way. And I've heard others believe, say the same thing. You let your students' needs dictate what you're doing. Not necessarily what you think the right learning theory is, and that everybody should learn this way. So some of the theories you may be familiar with, and some of them uh, are related uh, to all of the theories, and there's like just a, a an extra word added, you know, it's a little twist to it. So let's talk about that a minute. So some of the learning theories, some I think that I've heard throughout my career fairly popularly uh, mentioned in different settings, um, and some names that you probably recognize as well. So let's get started with constructivism, constructivism, and then you have constructionism, and you have connectivism, lots of ism. So expressive um, constructivism, connected back to constructivism, is that the learner is not a passive recipient of knowledge, but that the knowledge is constructed by the learner. So a lot of the, say, projects, um, having learners do projects that as they're constructing, they're doing, that's when they're they're actually, you know, learning is taking place. And I think there's research that shows that uh, that's completely true. Uh, von Feld, uh is the name associated with that. Now, that name I didn't recognize as much. Um, but as I'm looking at this chart, there's all kinds of gray lines because they're all so connected. Uh, you know, right next to it is Piaget and Vygotsky, which are some pretty uh, commonly thrown out names in, in many uh, presentations or books. About learning. Um, there's scaffolding, which I know is a big buzz, a big buzz word right now. I'm always hearing about scaffolding and support given during the learning process, which is tailored to the needs of the student with the intention of helping the student achieve his or her learning goals. So in that little sentence there, that mm-hmm. sounds nice, but I think we all know that there are other things that go in there. You have to, you have those learning gaps. And you know, we, we as the teacher may try to scaffold and, and um, predict when those are going to happen. You know, if they're going to happen, here's what we do, plan A, plan B. But sometimes and that would lead back to that the student is learning in the constructivist, constructionist way by, you know, um, having those failures and then creating more success, finding success. Something to think about. Not sure that any one of these is going to be the central idea. Some of them are close because they're just varied enough. How about multiple intelligence? Gardner. We have several different ways of learning and processing information, but these methods are relatively independent of one another, leading to multiple intelligences as opposed to a general intelligence factor. I think there's a lot of truth in that. But again, using it solely as the central idea, I think you're going to find limitations. And I think in so many of the educational ideas, formats, programs, methods that come through at least that have come through in my 25 years, I, I, you know, they have so many good things, but there's one or two things that are weaknesses, significant weaknesses, and sometimes the people I'm working with, we would find ways to correct those, and other times you just grin and bear it. Mastery learning, or blooms Bloom Mastery Learning. The students are helped to master each learning unit before proceeding to a more advanced learning task. I remember the high school that I graduated from went to Mastery Learning for a few years, and I think they really struggled with the fact that what happens when the child doesn't master that unit and can't go on. Behaviorism. In this chart, there's a box that says Radical Behaviorism the learning as a process of forming associations between stimuli in the environment and the corresponding responses of the individual. Reinforcement strengthens responses and increases the likelihood of another occurrence when the stimulus is present again. That you learn from the response to the process. I think there's some truth in that as well. So, I think you 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 take a look at each of these. I'll put that chart in the show notes. There's about, oh, I don't know, twenty more. and And I think they each hold uh, perhaps a path to teaching a student or students. and it's up to us as teachers to kind of decide, you know which which one is going to be the most successful. I think we probably use all of these to some extent. And I think it's important to have them identified so that we know we have something that we can label that this text and conversation theory worked well. An organization is created and defined by communication. Communication is, quote-unquote, the organization. And the organization exists because communication takes place. I'd have to read up more on that to fully understand, because I think all of us, understand the importance of communications in 21st century skills, right? One of the four C's. So which ones do you use? Which ones do you identify with that you think work best with your students? Discovery learning I know. Bruner. Learners obtain knowledge by forming and testing a hypothesis. So it's an interesting chart. I hope you take a minute and just kind of look over it. I'm sure it has some pluses and minuses in its in itself and the way it was formed, and maybe it's missing some learning theories. I can I can uh, think of a few that I know I have studied that I'm if they're on here, they must be on in a different name. But I think it's important that we have a a centralized focus on theories that we use. That are research based, so hopefully, hopefully, this is helpful. Even though, by when you look at it, make sure if you wear glasses, you have glasses on. It's it's quite a it's quite a chart of connections, and and uh, interesting to read the different synapses of each learning theory. All right, well, let's get on to the next article. As a high school teacher, I find myself um, being very focused on preparing students for the next level or levels of life. And one of those levels is college or uh, advanced training. So I came across a 2012 article that once I read it, which I didn't, uh, I did without really realizing it was a 2012 article. Um, And I thought there were a lot of excellent ideas and observations. And when I saw it was six years old, which is kind of like two lifetimes in tech, really, I felt that um, I, I thought I should bring it up, bring it to your attention. So I think it's important to look back when, when we're moving forward. It gives you a good idea if you're on the right track or if you're at least practicing a consistent procedure in whatever it is you're doing. You know, if you said, hey, this isn't what I'm going to do. And then you kind of look back, oh, okay, yeah, I'm doing it. No, I'm not. I need to update this. I'm not real sure, you know. So the article is by Phil Hill, An Online Educational Delivery Models, A Descriptive View. Make sure I got the right article. I didn't get too many articles. Yes, it is. All right, so the article, when you first start, gives some introduction um, to the massive online, uh, excuse me, massive open online courses, and that that's becoming... Uh, uh, or is, and of course in 2012 it was becoming uh, a big uh, focus for university colleges and universities. And so they were having discussions and how are they going to utilize this? And so there's a kind of a history uh, of a history of uh, how online courses have moved in the um, university and college settings and how, uh, how uh, I guess how it's affected profits, how it's affected you know the different aspects of of the university, some of universities. So um, there's a couple of figures with uh, models and when they came in, and, and historically speaking, and uh, it's kind of interesting to take a look at. But what I really wanted to point out was some of the um, ideas or f- kind of future predictions that the article makes. So as I, as I go down through uh, the article, I'm, I'm remembering that uh, the blended and hybrid courses in the flipped classroom uh, section, compet- competency-based education, how there are some universities that are going this direction instead of credit hours, that they're one of the innovations in higher education I'm reading right from the article, is a move from credit hours to competency ex- assessment as the definition of whether a course has been completed. He lists uh, Western Governors University two years ago stood almost alone in this idea, this competency-based model. And But today, again, 2012, he lists one, two, three, four, five other universities that have moved to this competency based. So what exactly is it? Six critical components of CBE. Explicit learning outcomes with respect to the required skills and concomitant proficiency. Standards for assessment. A flexible time frame to master these skills. A variety of instructional activities to facilitate learning. Criterion reference testing of the required outcomes. Certification based on demonstrated learning outcomes and number six, adaptable programs to ensure optimum learner guidance. So looking back over that, flexible time frame, I think we kind of are doing that. Depends on, you know, on the university or the institution, I suppose, and what their idea of flexible is. A variety of instructional activities. Yes, I'm thinking through my online uh, masters I completed criterion and reference testing yes criterion certification so I think a lot of these things a lot of these criteria are are being inserted into uh, many of the uh, college you know like on online courses and so so I think you know look two thousand and twelve to now yes some of that's happening so he talks it uh, goes on and then talks about the um Massive open online courses, but what does this mean for uh, colleges, lessons for traditional institutions? Online education consists of multiple educational delivery models. And in this article, he goes over some delivery models. New legitimacy of online education can lead to new pressures. No longer acceptable to leave it to individual faculty members or de- departments to decide what, how and when online courses and programs should be developed. Most institutions will need to determine how online education does or does not serve their specific mission and needs. Now, that should sound kind of familiar, and the fact that it's not just an institution, I think it's up to public schools in the same way. You have to determine if it does, it does not serve. That, that's a lot of surveying, a lot of paying attention to data, and whether schools have those tools and people with the time to do that. Number three, online education should lower and not raise student costs i think that kind of goes into another area of how much you know making money and how much money and is there is there a, an enough amount what is enough even with no other change there will be tremendous price pressure for online program costs to drop in the long run the higher price models could become untenable for all but the most selective universities. So you think about your selective universities and maybe their online could be costly and people would pay it because they want to go to that university. But I think there's a truth in there in that they're going to start to see an education level that might be the same no matter where you go. But then I think also As just with any time, like when I went to school, there were schools that were known as the good school to go to for that. For whatever, some are better have better departments than others. Some put more money into other departments. Some have enough money to to spread it around, but it really kind of depends. Online education will increase competition. Yes, most definitely. If everybody can access it, definitely going to have more competition, and I think that's a good thing. See how see how you see how they uh, uh, respond to that. How do they rise to that? So let's look at this last little bit because this was interesting to me. A bumpy ride ahead. The coming five to ten years will be a bumpy ride. For a traditional institution, the investment community, particularly venture capital and corporate mergers and acquisitions, have built, have a built-in trial and error approach. There will be successes and there will be failures. Failures are to be expected. And one attribute of investment-based new models is quick failure and quick ad- adaptation. As a system, higher education is not structured for rapid change, and there will be a battle of cultures of investment-backed educational technology intersects with slow-paced, conservative educational structures. Yes, yeah, so you're getting all kinds of devices and things that change quickly and updates. When's the last time we updated the educational system? I don't think we do. I think it's such a heavy, already in-place system that we just adapt it. But those adaptations, gosh, even take time. I enjoy using technology. I truly do. I've been using it 10, 15 years. took me a while to get started because at first I didn't see the value. But once I found value in uh, mostly the productivity or business day-to-day use of technology, because still in music there's not always a lot of accessible music apps that enhance the learning. Of just playing the instrument and listening, say to a recording and playing back and forth and you know being adjudicated, the human factor. But there are more now, and it's getting easier, and the quality it is uh, of recording and of uh, communicating virtually is uh, increasing. So I, I, while I think it's a hard change, you know, like I said, fifteen years, I've seen. It still has a ways to go, but it is much, much better, just that aspect of education. So lastly, the article says, is online education the answer to change in higher education? No, there's no single answer, and online education is not appropriate for all situations. But now that MOOCs have changed massive open online courses, have changed the assumptions and discussions at the executive board level, executive and board level, complacency or even gradual change is no longer acceptable. That is the real transformative power of the current generation of online educational delivery models. And I think that also speaks to what I was saying about the tech, that it's gotten so much better, that it's hard to just ignore it and write it off as a special little part of education. I think it's going to become The part, the way. What do you think? Tech treat time for episode 31. And the tech treat is kind of more of a thought process. And then I'm going to give you a little little thing, maybe to help you there. The student needs need to drive what you're doing. And those needs change a lot. And they change day-to-day, concept-to-concept. So just you know, continue to be uh, aware of those needs. And you know, take a look on Twitter about how different people find out about student needs. How do you do a pre-test or a survey? Uh, sometimes there's an, a great set of questions that you ask all the time in your review to make sure that you're centered in on what you're, you know, what's your environment. Google Forms is awesome for this. Definitely look into Google Forms, and there are a lot of templates set up for different types of surveys. But the little, the little extra little tech thing is more productivity, and it kind of speaks to this. So if you're going to do this for particular units or... Um, Uh, even concepts within a unit, and you're going to use different surveys, or you're going to just you know, do some pre-assessment, post-assessment, whatever term you use for that. When you use uh, a document in Google Drive, and you click up to change the title in the upper left corner, when it comes up, it says Untitled Document, and you click there. And if you've already typed something in, though usually the first line will appear there as if that's what you want the they're assuming the name of your document is in the first line, so that's what they'll save it to automatically. But you might want to put a number one, two, three, or even a more involved numbering system. And when you go to your drive, it will organize it one, two, three, four, five. That way, if the number is first. Now, if you wanted to put in your class name and then the number, then it will go by class name or concept name, and then a number that will help to organize your drive. Don't forget to make a shared folder that you share with anybody that has the link, and then whatever you want to share with people, just put it in that folder. That way you don't have to go through the individual document sharing steps. You still can do that if you want to. Great. But for me, when I'm sharing a lot, and, I'm, and sharing is putting it on my Google site, because some people won't have access to a document on my site unless I've shared it. So I put it in that share folder. And you can even put a folder within that folder if you had a website and then for each of your classes if you have different documents. So title it with a name and the numbers. Come up with that system. It organizes it that way and make that share folder. There's your trick. (laughs) trick. There's your treat for the week. Happy holidays to you. Um, I am working on two interviews. Uh, Holidays are crazy time. Probably should have picked a different time to try to do interviews. But I'm promising you they're coming up and it'll be great. Thanks. Leave me an iTunes review if you're enjoying the podcast. It makes it findable for others. Share it with some people. Tell them about it. Tell me about what you like, what you'd like to hear. You take care. This has been the old dog new tech podcast with your host jeff west i hope you enjoyed your time and remember with edtech integration it's about being patient and not perfect